So do I double crop or do I cover crop after small grains? And this is kind of a question that comes up this time of the year or during the winter meetings and we're discussing about opportunities for cover crops. And I just wanted to start out today with something maybe a little different, but just a, a reality here. You know, we all have our bad days. And uh, I just wanted to show you what happened yesterday. Uh, if, if you want to, if you don't recognize what this is, that's the pieces to a hay tether. And the main gear drive went out and we had uh, 50 acres of hay laying. And, uh, oh, man, it's just one of those things that just kind of hits you in the gut almost. Now, I did have a smaller hay tether we got out, uh, but, you know, doing with a two-star compared to a six-star certainly is a lot slower. So uh, I just wanted to say that, hey, uh, I'm generally an optimistic person, and that's what I choose to be. But there are some days where you just have stuff happen, and I know you all can relate to it. So I thought, you guys just need to know that sometimes I have days that, just don't go as planned. So I thought I'll just stick that in there for you. But our topic today has to do with uh, deciding what do we do in uh, after small grains. And I'll just say that for the sake of this discussion, most of the uh, double cropping that is done after small grains is after wheat and uh, planting double crop soybeans. Now, some of the smaller grains that would come up earlier, like barley, I'm not really going to emphasize that too much. Barley, where that's grown, typically comes off earlier enough. It makes a little bit more sense maybe to plant uh, double crop soybeans. Uh, but as far as the what I'm going to emphasize here is primarily wheat. But I want to be clear, uh, because I know that it varies in different parts of the country and different parts of the where, where it depends where you're located. Uh, we could talk about oats as well. Uh, oats is, uh, comes off later. Uh, most areas of the country, there's not enough time to consider any double cropping, so that's pretty much a no-brainer. The, the question almost always comes up is what do you do after wheat harvest? Uh, do you plant soybeans or do you go and try to do a cover crop? And, uh, my history of this is, goes back a while, and this is, uh, showing you a slide here from 2014. This is replicated plots. These plots, just for reference sake, were 100 feet long, replicated three times in a field. So this is a scientific data. It's not large scale, but it kind of does back up what I had been seeing on my farm. And I just want to go through. I want to spend a little time in this slide because this is this is kind of the premise for uh, what I'm going to say today. So. Uh, I always like to give you my conclusions up front so you're not left um, wondering. Uh, but basically, I am no longer planting double crop soybeans after wheat. And I, and I say that not as a statement that I never, ever will, because the other year, well, five, six years ago when the price of soybeans was, I could contract them at $14 at planting, I planted soybeans. Um, so just saying I don't like to make ironclad statements, but generally speaking, I am not, I am no longer planting soy, double crop soybeans after wheat. And just to give you a further context in my area, because that's, you know, every day does count and it depends when the historical harvest dates are, uh, we're cutting, we're cutting wheat around the first week of July. So typically on July the 4th, that's not much of a holiday for us. Uh, we're working with wheat. So, just to give you that backdrop, 
and I understand there's some earlier and some later, and that's you're, you're going to have to factor all that in. But that's the context of this data here. So on the left-hand side is a uh, is, is uh, the first set of results. But I should back up and say, if you look at the bottom there, the blue bars represent a zero nitrogen applied to corn that was planted the following year. So we had a wheat field, took the wheat off, and um, I do bale my straw, and I'll talk about that later. But uh, the wheat came off, and then we planted these cover crop plots, various cover crop plots. And also, we included double crop beans in here, just to compare the very topic we're talking about today and some other stuff as well. And then we used three different – I'm showing you three different nitrogen rates. There was there was more. We did in increments of 50 all the way up, but I didn't want to get the slides too busy uh, in this uh, – and showing you this here. So the blue bars are zero nitrogen, and I like to use zero because that can really, in the best way, show the cover crop effect of what happens. Now, I'm not recommending zero nitrogen on corn. I'm just saying that this can help us understand the effect of the cover crop. So ultimately, we can manage our fertility, our nitrogen, a little bit better. And... um uh, one thing, too, I really need to back up here and say, uh, because I'm aware uh, that there's there's people from drier areas of the country that don't get much rain over the summer, and that is a factor as well. I would just say that if you're considering planting double crop soybeans, then there's no reason not to consider the potential for a cover crop. So if it's even an option to do plant anything, I'm strongly suggesting you consider using some cover crops. Uh, so the blue bars represent zero nitrogen. If you look across there, we got a little yield bump out of our double crop beans. Not surprisingly, seven bushels. That was kind of what you would expect. Um, the middle set of bars underneath, it says Homestead. That's a branded name for a three-way blend of radishes, sorghum sedan, and sun hemp. One of the most popular after small green cover crop mixes that there is. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So we got a 10 bushel yield bump there in the zero uh, nitrogen rate, which is interesting. Uh, that's that's good. If you look at the other bars up there where we added 150 and 200 pounds of N, it helped us a little bit more. Of course, the yield was dramatically more, as you would expect. But compared to the control, it still gave us a little boost. Uh, then it really gets interesting over there to the right where the tillage radish, or we can just say radish here, uh, but it was the tillage radish uh, genetics that I did this work with, we really got some nice yield bumps. And actually, without any nitrogen, 24 bushels. So that's a good, strong indicator that something is going on uh, in giving a yield increase. When we added nitrogen, we continue to see the benefits. And uh, on the far right is tillage sun. That's actually sun hemp. Again, strong benefits, and, and that's why uh, sun hemp is shown to be popular in um, in this situation. And I would say that you got the radishes and the sun hemp are probably some of the if, – if you're gone for yield the following year, that's what you would want. There's a combination of two. If you're really trying to help with your overall soil health, increased organic matter, adding a sorghum sedan grass is certainly advisable. Uh, so, again, depends what you're doing, depends what your following crop is uh, the next year. I'm suggesting just off this slide here and my experience that if you're going to corn, I would prefer to stick with a radish or a sun hemp 
if you're going to soybeans, throw the, the sorghum sedan type grass in there uh, as well, and and that'll that'll be really beneficial in a in a wide array of, of benefits for your soil and so forth. So just looking at this here, this is what started my, I guess you'd say, commitment to getting away from double crop beans because I saw some of the benefits. And it's it's not like it's outstanding, but there's something there. And I think that's uh, that's important to to see some of this data so that you can understand and maybe do it yourself uh, on your farm. There's nothing like your own on-farm research. And if you've heard me on these webinars or whatever, I, I really, really constantly talk about that. How you, it, at the end of the day, if you really want to know if something works, try it on your own farm. Now, this next slide is essentially the same research, but looking at the numbers a little different way. And I think maybe uh, from a statistical sense or maybe from my farmer sense here, this is where the data really shook out. And I'm just going to go through this again because this is what I'm basing my premise on here for this talk today of strongly considering trying to get cover crops planted instead of double crop beans. So we have our control over there on the uh, the far left, and you can see that uh, the control, and it, again, this is a combination of all the fertilizer treatments. And, and I, I use this, scientists would go nuts over something like this, but for me, I feel that it's a representation of more what could occur, what you would expect on an average across uh, across many, many, many different farms. So that's my rationale behind showing you this data. But at least if nothing else, it just shows you a point here. And one of the things is that second bar, the dark blue bar, is all of the cover crops thrown together. And look at the yield increase uh, that we got out of that. And when you see, uh, now I've kind of, uh, listed double crop beans here as greedy beans, in case you were wondering what that is. And not my term, by the way, but I do think it does make a point, maybe. Uh, so the greedy beans are essentially the double crop beans. And then you see the greedy beans and then trit, that's triticale. So we took a little yield uh, hit there. Probably a little more nitrogen could have maybe overcome that. And then you can see the other cover crops there to the right, the mix and the also the radish and the sun hemp. Again, those numbers look really, really good when you throw all the data together. But I really want to concentrate between, as listed here, the greedy beans and and uh, and all the con all the other cover crops there. The, so so the, you have the greedy bean bar, the third one in from the left, and the dark blue bar, uh, the second one in from the left. I want to compare those two. And when you do that, the following year we got 14 bushels more corn. Now, you can run numbers however you want. I just put in 350 corn, which, you know, hopefully will be a little better than that this year, but depends where you're located. That's around $50 more profit, and you did absolutely nothing. There's, you know, when, sometimes when you show a, a yield increase, you don't, people don't take in the, 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 the account of the expense that it took to get that yield increase. This yield increase here is very true. It's it's all profit, essentially. So there's 50 bucks in your pocket. And and I would ask, are you making profit? Are you profiting $50 an acre if you just would have went to beans? If we want to just look at this, 
in from a sheer profitability standpoint. And I'm talking about your net profit. Um, hey, it may be more some years, I know, but I'm just saying year in and year out, it from a from a number standpoint, I'm saying this looks plausible if you if you do everything on numbers. Now, having said all that, I would also submit that all the other benefits we get with cover crops uh, and what they can do, probably there's a lot of more benefits there that I don't even know about that were going to give me a return on my investment uh, down the road. So in considering this, it it's really comes down to that very, very basic question that we all need to ask whenever we're considering something else in the cover crop wet realm is what am I trying to accomplish? And, Again, there's a whole host of things that that could be. We we all have our different reasons, uh, and I'm talking beyond just making money. Uh, what 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 am I trying to accomplish by considering growing soybeans after wheat or growing cover crops after wheat? So you have your typical things there, and and this is this is in in light of of going for uh, growing a cover crop. We want to build up the soil biology, and there could be a list there you know, forever almost of what all the good is. But, you know, can we produce nitrogen for our following corn crop, if that's what it's going to be? What is our next crop going to be? Is it going to be corn or soybeans? That could help dictate what we would plant at this time. Of course, organic matter increase, that's that's a big one, but there's dozens of other things to build up the soil biology. You may have a field that is recently rented or uh, just a poor field that you just want to have an opportunity to get a good, healthy mix of cover crops in there. And another obvious reason for going to cover crops is if you want to tile your field, that's sometimes the only reason why some farmers literally grow a uh, wheat crop. And, uh, and, and, and most certainly, if you can time your tiling operation to right after that and then get a cover crop planted, that is that's a no-brainer there. There's no no issue with why you would not do that. But uh, a few of the other things, there could be some perennial weeds that are just getting out of control in some of your fields. And uh, by planting a, 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 a small grain crop and maybe delaying a month or so and letting that perennial come through and then terminating and then going with the cover could be a, not, a strong enough reason to be able to grow a cover crop at that time. Now, uh, again, some of the negatives of planting uh, soybeans is that we just don't have enough time to get cover crops after soybeans come off. Generally, it's the in November sometime, and a lot of areas of the country just don't have much, just don't have much uh, growth after that. Now, I still maintain it's worth it to plant a cereal rye or a triticale at that time, even though you may not see much in the fall you're going to, at the very least, have something to grow in the spring. And uh, most most farmers who are committed to cover cropping will indeed doing that, do that, but you're just not giving yourself much time for cover crop growth. Now, I will say there has been some success of farmers planting or, or overseeding, broadcast seeding into a standing soybeans Double crop soybeans in um, the timing there would usually be in September, and because it's a little cooler, the days aren't as hot, stays a little moist underneath there a little longer, 
there has been some success of like spinning on cereal rye after that. So doesn't mean you can't get so a cover crop planted. Uh, if you really want to uh, do some top-level management, it certainly is an opportunity there to get some cover crops planted. But generally speaking, planting a, uh, a double crop bean you just really limits you in being able to get a good cover crop planted. Now, for those who are enthralled by massive cover crops uh, and huge radishes and things like that, the only way you're going to accomplish that is if you get them planted early enough, typically by August uh, or even earlier. And I just wanted to show you here, this was on my farm, a soil pit we dug once, uh, with radishes here, they were planted August the 10th, so it was very early. And we dug the pit on October the 30th, found tillage radish roots uh, six feet two inches deep. So, again, if you're trying to break up compaction, if you're trying to uh, maybe you have um, a salinity issues, that's another reason not to go double crop beans. Get a good cover crop in there to hopefully break down through there and open things up, a wet spot, things like that. Uh, very, very good reasons uh, to to grow to to grow a cover crop instead of beans. But I know you know we're typically talking about large field scale uh, production. So I want to share some uh, go through a couple things here of some specifics on how this works uh, and and what would what is the process of thinking to set yourself up for success. If you're going to go to do cover crops, it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, I believe in cover crops and everything, but it's another thing to manage them to the point where you actually do experience their benefit. So let's just talk about fertility. Uh, if some, for some, they'll grow small grains simply as a window of opportunity to get to, to be able to spread manure over that summertime. So that is their reason. That's what, that's why they're growing a small grain in order uh, to do that. Now, you can go back in and plant the double crop soybeans, but they're not going to take up the amount of nitrogen that a cover crop would and maybe recycle it and hold it over and so forth. So if manure was applied or the field actually does have high fertility, you want to use a cover crop mix that scavenges nitrogen, that needs nitrogen, like your radish, oats, and your ryegrass, sorghum sedan. And um, I threw annual ryegrass in there. That would be more on the later end of the window, like at the end of August maybe. Sorghum sedan would be targeted uh, in July and August frame for most areas. But if there's no nitrogen applied, no manure, then you want to lean heavily on the legumes or a mix with the legume. And some of the more popular ones are sun hemp, cowpeas, crimson clover, hairy vetch. And there are there are some other ones out there, but they're they're the they're most popular. And again, as I mentioned before, you got to be thinking about what your uh, crop is going to be next year. Now, one of the things that people tend to overlook is the the timing and and how you uh, decide when to plant. If you decide not to plant uh, beans. Uh, most people, if they're going to plant beans, as soon as the combine leaves the field or the straws bailed, they're in there with the planter and they're uh, they're getting their uh, they're getting their uh, beans planted because every single day counts. But if you choose not to grow beans, you have to make a decision. Do you wait a couple weeks and then spray and try to clean up the volunteer wheat or maybe weeds? Uh, that's an issue if you even get rain. 
Uh, depends on the quality of the wheat. Uh, good quality wheat, you don't tend to have very much uh, volunteer wheat come up. Uh, but I will say this, if you have a combine that doesn't have a chaff spreader and the, and the wheat is bad quality and you're blowing a lot of it out, some of that's going to grow and you could create like uh, windrows almost of uh, volunteer wheat, which would really screw up your uh, cover crops that you might plant. It will simply choke them out. I've seen that. Uh, so you can plant the cover crop immediately. Uh, obviously, you have more time for the cover crop to reach its potential. But volunteer wheat could create problems, so you're going to have to make that decision uh, in in knowing how long to wait if you want to wait to try to take out the any volunteers that grow up. So, again, that's going to have to be kind of a game day type decision in order to understand how to do that. So some of the other covers, in addition to what I mentioned here, I'm going to throw in uh, millets. There's a lot of good millets that can be used. Buckwheat's a good one over the summer. And uh, so there's so many options out there, and depends on the, which area you're in. But I would try to stay away from your main cash crop type species if you could. That's why it's good to get a brassica in there, and especially some of those legumes. If if you're uh, heavily on corn, you might want to stay away from the sorghum sedan just to get something, you know, something diverse into your into your fields. But probably the most in popular after small grains is this mix of sorghum sedan sun hemp and radish and it's kind of nice because the radishes don't do much over the summer because the the sorghum sedan and sun hemp grows so aggressively and then when you have a first frost and this is right after the first frost this picture you see is when the sunlight can get down in there and the radishes just come alive so they're going to last until the temperatures get down in the mid-teens, which is usually about two months or so after the first frost. It depends where you're at. but uh, So it gives you that, that one-two punch, if you will, of being able to grow, capitalizing for the warm season annuals over summer and then the cool season later on in the fall. So you, you want to plant a mix like this up to about two months before the average first killing frost. And I threw in some... Um, some rates there of 10 pounds of sun hemp, 7 pounds of sorghum sedan, 3 pounds of radish. You can go a tick lighter than that if you're in a very dry area, a little heavier than that if you're thinking about the possibility of taking some for forage, which some people do. But these are some of the highest biomass producers for late summer nitrogen production, uh, especially that sun hemp. It does very well in even in dry, hot weather. And also, if you're looking for weed suppression, that would be a reason to up the rate, maybe even almost doubling the rate of the sun hemp and the sorghum sedan. I'd keep the radishes about the same. But, you know, this is just a really, really good tried and tested, you might say, of uh, a species to plant that you will be able to get the most out of what you're trying to accomplish uh, with your cover crop. Another one is radishes and oats. Uh, very popular. Again, they're, these are actually very, very easy because they grow well, they grow quick, and they winter kill. So if you're new to cover cropping or those you're consulting for are new to cover cropping, this is basically, I use this uh, more than once here, but this is basically a, the cover crop mix with training wheels. It's great for first-timers. It's something that they can literally see a difference, what it can do to the soil, 
and uh, not hard to plan into in the spring. So that's just primarily an overview of the most popular uh, species that are out there. There's a, again, there's 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 dozens of species that would actually work, uh, but you need to go and see what's available in your local area and, and actually, you know, ask what you're what you prefer or what you're trying to accomplish and so forth. So a question comes up about so what about the straw? And um, I'll just tell you that from my standpoint, where I live, straw is very 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 valuable. And I'll just say 140 to 160 dollars a ton out of the field. There's a big demand for it. Uh, we cut our straw low, uh, but we have uh, planted a cover crop as soon as that straw is baled, and we have the rainfall here that we can do that. Areas that are dry land maybe want to consider using stripper headers to keep the straw taller, uh, so that's so, so it's there and easier to plant into. Uh, depending how aggressive your combine straw chopper is, if you're blowing it back, and how good of a no-till drill you have is something you really, really need to pay attention to. Because if you're going into heavy straw and you don't have a drill that can cut down through, and again, I don't care if you're planting double crop soybeans or or cover crops for that matter. You have to have something that is able to get those seeds in the ground without the straw hairpinning. So there's a little bit of a... Of, of, of management that needs to occur behind all this in order to be successful. So just wanted to put that out there that uh, the option of what are you going to do with straw is something you really do need to consider. So to kind of uh, wrap this up here and the topic today, get your questions ready here if you have them. Uh, I'm, I'm just pretty much uh, asking that question, uh, do you want to go with greedy beans or you want to go with soil health? And I'm going to use this picture next week, and I'm going to because I'm going to continue on this very topic, but talking more specifically about the use of forages. And and there's a and, and that opportunity that's out there. And you can just I'm just using this slide just to say that this is going to be continued. But um, again, I'm not going to be a purist about this. I have decided myself though that I am not growing double crop beans after wheat. That being said, uh, after barley, which comes off the end of June, I, I may consider it depending when it comes off and uh, numerous other factors. But I just wanted to let you know where I'm coming from and also hopefully can help you with some of your decision making here and what you would do with growing beans or growing a cover crop. Well, one thing is for sure, and this is uh, my last slide here uh, coming up in a second, is that you got to do something more than grow weeds. Uh, this is a field I took of uh, in August of a wheat field that was growing up in predominantly ragweed, and uh, that just is unacceptable in my opinion. Uh, that you just got to do better than that. There's a lot better options out there. So don't don't let this happen to you. Is my uh, I guess you'd say my strong advice here uh, for this. So. So on that note, I'm going to turn the microphones on for everybody and uh, would love to hear uh, questions that you would have. You can turn your mic on and ask the question, and uh, we'll, we'll be able to discuss it for a while. Um, and just letting you know, as I had indicated, that next week I am going to focus more on how to use forages, and sometimes it's kind of like maybe almost part two here.
but uh, I'm going to focus a lot more on cover crops next week. So uh, does anyone have a question here for today's topic of choosing cover crops versus uh, uh, versus like a double crop of soybeans? And, and I'm, I'm open for challenges too. So uh Please uh, don't hesitate to ask or to give you give me your perspective. So, uh, just does anybody have any any comments or questions? Steve, it's Wayne. I have a question. Do you have any data showing um, like a nutrient credit value for the next year's corn crop with cover crops like that? Well, uh, the data I showed you is what I have. Uh, as far as a nutrient okay. credit, um, I'm becoming more comfortable how to do that on my own farm. The problem with actually mentioning nutrient credits is there's so many variables. Every farm is different, and you could have the same scenario on, let's say, three different farms, the, the same planting date, the same species, the same previous crop, but you could get different results like manure history, cover cropping history, no-till history, all that. So... Uh, I do appreciate the question, uh, but the answer is the, the infamous, it depends. <laughs> and, and this is why, <laughs> this is why I, I keep coming back. You have to do your own cover crop research. I gave you what I found on my farm, and I would say that I feel like for most farms, that's what you can expect. But, that's not going to – there's no promises in that that that's where it's going to occur. So to answer your question, Wayne, uh, there's, there's, there is probably a nutrient credit for, uh, for planting cover crops. And then, again, there's a lot of uh, variables go into that. So to, to make any claims on that probably, you know, may work somewhere and may not work another where. But I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think I uh, mentioned that enough. So thanks for that. Yeah, no, that makes sense, and thanks for clarifying. Yeah, anyone else have a question? How about Corbin? Are you still with us? Uh, you were from out there in southwestern Kansas. I know there's a lot of wheat out there. Just wouldn't mind hearing your perspective, uh, basically from dry land and irrigated. I mean, do you have any comments uh, from my from my from what I shared? Yeah. Hey, sorry. Uh, yeah, um, that's okay. I uh, I was making a I'm just making a turn of the track. I understand. Bad <laughs> um, timing. Once the GPS kicks in, you'll be good. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, I uh, that was really helpful. I'm uh, considering growing cereal rye to sell as a cover crop seed to uh, other farmers and my okay. uh, to my dad's farm. Good. And, uh, so that kind of helped me answer some questions because it seems i've only grown rye one year so far this is an experiment it seems yeah. like we got it off a little later than what other guys were getting their wheat off and yeah. so yeah i confirmed the idea that uh, it'd be you know a little bit too late for beans and so i really yeah. uh, i really like the idea of going ahead and uh, you know growing a, a really thick cover crop to try and uh, scavenge nutrients for the uh, following yeah. corn crop yep yeah. no i think you're right after rye comes off a couple weeks later and that to me is a no-brainer, but I think you'll, you're, you'll see some benefits. Uh, probably, I don't know if you want to do it in both irrigated and non-irrigated, but, uh, that I'm sure both ways, provided you do get rain in a non-irrigated, you'll, you'll get some, uh, you'll see some benefits out of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Good. Okay. Others, other questions. I see Herb jumped on here. You have a question today, Herb? 
Anybody else? Um, Bob, I know you're not a, uh, I know you're not a, uh, probably a small grain grower, but, uh, do you have any questions, Bob? Or Avery? Or, uh, how about Travis Myers' buddy who's on here today for him? I didn't get your name. Does anybody else have any more questions? Well, as uh, you can see, next week's kind of going to be a continuation of this uh, cover crops as a forage, the one-two punch, and uh, that's something that I've been doing more of here recently and learning about, and want to kind of refine that a little bit. Um, is uh, just ask: Is there any other question about any other cover crop? Any other cover cropping question you may have about anything? Any other questions for today? Okay, well, awesome. Well, thanks for your attention. I appreciate your support, and uh, looking forward to seeing you next week. We'll be back to Tuesday again, and I appreciate you guys checking in today. Stay safe out there, and uh, keep on learning, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next week.